Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deemed to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deemed to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief in his household, chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am, whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this uh, really precious time that we can spend together today. And we uh, pray that as we look at the uh, scriptures now, we uh, thank you that your word is living and active, and that as we look at even at uh, passages that we've read many times before, we ask that you'd be revealing fresh insights and that you would be confirming those truths that we have been taught before 
And uh, Father, we pray for the kids in Sunday school. Really bless them, Lord God, and uh, plant the seed of the gospel in their minds and their hearts that there would be a great fruit of righteousness into the future. We thank you for these things and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. About nine years ago, Yasser Arafat was buried in the city of Ramallah, which is only actually about 10 kilometres north of uh, Jerusalem. It's not far, is it? Do you remember Yasser Arafat? He was, for, for many decades, he was the, uh, nine years ago, he was buried in the city of Ramallah, which is only about 10 kilometres north of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, we all, you know, those of us who are old enough remember Yasser Arafat because for a good number of decades he was the leader of the Palestinian people in their, in their fight to uh, regain what they considered to be their land. And he was a controversial figure, uh, not only in his lifetime, as uh, with the PLO and so on, but uh, also in his death for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, uh, after he died, people have long speculated that he was murdered, that in fact uh, he was very, very slowly poisoned, and that's what led to his death. The other thing uh, in respect to why he was controversial in his death was his burial site. Now, I think those fans may actually be going to be going around too fast and the roof might sort of uh, take off. So can someone just keep an eye on that, just to make sure that that's not spinning around too fast and cooling everyone down too much. He was controversial in his death because of the actual burial site, because in some cultures, where you are buried is very, very significant, because the site of your burial says something about your identity, it says something about uh, your values, and it says something about your, your home. And so the question is, where should Yasser Arafat be buried? Well, to the Palestinians, there's only one place that he could be buried. Where would that be? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But to the Israelis, that was never going to happen. Why? Because if he was buried in Jerusalem, that's like stating a claim. That's like saying that Jerusalem is this man's identity. That's like saying that Jerusalem is this man's true home and the home of his people. And so he was in fact amongst um, chaotic scenes uh, with thousands of people gathered with guns being fired up into the air, which was interesting for the helicopter that was trying to lower down his coffin. Uh, he was uh, buried under some trees, uh, next to some buildings that the Israelis had completely destroyed, uh, in the Palestinian town of Ramallah. But the soil that they used to bury him did not come from Ramallah. Guess where it came from? They brought it in from Jerusalem. Let it be said that Yasser Arafat is buried in the soil of his home, buried in the soil of Jerusalem. It's powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful symbol of the importance of where a person is buried. 
You know, about 65 kilometres south uh, of uh, Ramallah is another uh, symbolic place. It's a place called Hebron. Symbolic because a few thousand years earlier, there were two burials that took place in Hebron. Burials which we'll be reading about and learning about today, burials of two significant and very elderly people. Now today we finish up our series on Genesis, which we'll come back to next year. But it's been quite a journey as we've tracked the life story of Abraham and especially the promises that God made to Abraham, the promises of a people, a land and a blessing. And now chapter 23 tells us of a very sad episode in the life of Abraham. Um, Last year my grandfather died. He was 97 years of age. And you think, well, 97, you know, it's pretty good innings. You know, you'd be expecting that. You wouldn't be all that incredibly sad about it happening. Well, yes and no, because, you know, the longer a person has lived, the longer they've been a part of your life. And so there's, there's some very real grief there. Abraham had known Sarah since she was born because she was actually his half-sister. And now, 127 years later, in the city of Hebron, it was Abraham's time to weep and mourn. It's hard for us to imagine his feelings of loss, 127 years, most of which glued together as husband and wife. And now... She's no more. He's lost something very, very significant. Someone very significant. But what is the focus of this chapter? If you have a look at chapter 23, the first couple of verses tell us uh, that she died and that he grieved. But what is the focus of the chapter? Is the focus of the chapter on her death and how she died and what the process of her death was? Is the focus of the chapter all about how he grieved and mourned and what? Well, actually, no. Check out verse 3. Verse 3 says, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. See, the chapter is not actually about death or grief. It's actually about the location and the price of the burial spot. Uh, The land was owned by the Hittites. Now, the Hittites were not an indigenous people to the land of Canaan. The Hittites uh, originated in um, Asia Minor, in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And by this stage, which is the 18th, somewhere between the 18th and the 20th centuries BC, the Hittite kingdom had extended to the frontiers of Canaan. And these Hittites who lived in the land of Canaan, they were very well established. They had lived in Canaan long enough to have um, adopted Canaanite names and also to have a very well established ownership of the land. And so Abraham had to buy a grave for his wife. I once attended a funeral, it was a family funeral, where as the priest was 
standing at the hole in the ground with the coffin and doing the the uh, they call it the committal. Over to the side, some of the relatives were discussing the the the, the, the amount of money that he'd paid for the for the for the uh, burial spot. They were talking to me about it. I was saying, look, did you know he paid so many thousands of dollars for this and it would have been cheaper if he'd gotten one up the road? And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but for Abraham, there was no concern about the price that uh, he would pay. He was not concerned about the cost. In verse 5, the Hittites seem to have respected Abraham. I mean, after all, he was a wealthy man. Uh, after all, he had some very competent men within his household, men who were militarily competent enough to have defeated the kings uh, when he had to rescue Lot. And so they seem to have uh, respected him and they called him a prince amongst them. And it seems that the Hittites were very happy to provide Abraham with a burial spot for Sarah. But they didn't seem to want to sell it to him. Now, why? Well, was it politeness? Um, maybe. Was it generosity, perhaps? Uh, was it that they re really respected him? Um, probably. Uh, was it because, because he was so strong and they respected him so much they actually wanted to get on his good side and stay on his good side? Maybe. Or maybe they were not actually comfortable with the idea of foreign ownership of any of their land. <laughs> because that's what would happen uh, once you sell the plot. Maybe they would just let him, uh, give him the land, but not actually deed it over to him and just let him use their land. We don't really know. But whatever the case, in verses 10 through to 16, Abraham starts wheeling and dealing with a man by the name of Ephron, who, who owns some land, it's on a field, and this land has got uh, some caves in it, which is a good place to, to bury someone. And so he starts wheeling and dealing with Ephron. Now, we Aussies are pretty straightforward when it comes to bargaining. Uh, you want to sell your house, you, you put on the market for a, high, a price which is higher than what you expect. Uh, the person wants to buy your house, they offer you a price that's lower than what they'll expect. And you negotiate and you find the equilibrium somewhere in the middle. That's how it works, isn't it? Um, some cultures are more subtle. Uh, in some cultures, if someone offers to pay for your meal at the restaurant, uh, then it's expected that you will refuse their offer, that they will pay, and they will then insist that they pay, and then you insist that they don't pay, and then they'll insist that they pay, and you insist that you pay, and the, you know what the trick is? The trick is not to pull out of the negotiations too early. <laughs> Uh, that would be culturally wrong. Uh, it's a little bit like Aussie males when they offer to do the washing up. I'll wash up. No, no, you don't have to do that. No, I'll wash up. You've got to know when to pull out of the negotiations, don't you? Right? Now, in verse 9, Abraham offers the full price. In verse 11, Ephron says, No, my Lord, listen to me. I give it to you. Verse 12, Abraham's, you listen to me. I will pay you the full price. Then in verse 14, Ephron answered Abraham, You listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what's that between me and you? Just go and bury your dead. We well, see that's uh, 400 shekels of silver. 
What's that between friends? <laughs> That's Abraham's cue. That's what it is, isn't it? Because he's stated the price that he wants. And so in verse 16, we're told that Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and he weighed out 400 shekels of silver. They didn't have coins in those days, just had pieces of silver that you could weigh out on the scales, on the, the, the weight measurement that was being used by the merchants at that time. Apparently that was a very high price, even though it included not just the cave but the land around the cave and the trees that were on the, on the land, because trees are actually worth money. Uh, and so you see in verse 17, in verse 17, so Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the city to the gate of the city. The, the city gate is like the town hall. That's where you conducted legal transactions. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. Very important. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Uh, these were not primitive people, were they? Uh, these people had... You know, we think that we're pretty sophisticated with all of our laws and uh, about real estate and about title deeds and registry offices and all of that sort of thing, stamp duty and so on. But these people had a legal system for the transfer of property. And now, Abraham actually owns land in Canaan. First time. First time. But it's not much land, is it? It's just a paddock with a cave. Now, what's going on here? I mean, Sarah's dead. Abraham's in grief. And what's the whole chapter about? It's about the wheeling and the dealing, about the burial plot. What? what why? Well, I wonder if you might turn with me back to chapter 13 of Genesis. Remember after Abraham split with his nephew Lot and uh, he said, look, you pick whatever part of the land you want to graze your livestock on and I'll take the rest. And Lot took the best pasture land, which was near the city of Sodom. Big mistake. But uh, remember that. And in chapter 13, verse 14, after Lot has taken the best of the land... Um, uh, let me just find it here chapter 13 verse 14 okay now I'm struggling here I've got the wrong uh, 13 verse 14 Okay, got it. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, um, so after Lot has taken the, uh, the, the best of the land, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. 
I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. You see that? So he's saying, look, uh, I'm going to give you all this land. Later on in chapter 15, it says actually all the land from the, uh, from the Nile River in Egypt to the Euphrates River in Babylon, that's all going to belong to you. But here he's saying, look, have a look at, look at the east and the west and south and north and, and have a walk through it and I'm giving it all to you. And Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. Now, where has Abraham just buried Sarah? Well, in chapter 23, verse 17, in Ephron's field, near Mamre, with its great trees. You see what Abraham's done? He's staked a claim. He's gone to the very place where God had made his promise about the whole of the land. Abraham doesn't own it yet, but he trusts in the promises of God. And he knows in verse 14 that he's just a stranger, he's just an alien uh, living in tents. But this is where God has promised that his descendants would one day dwell. So this is where his wife is going to be buried. Not just in the land of Canaan, but in the spot where he'd built an altar to the Lord years earlier when God had promised him the whole land, uh, the great trees of Mamre. Abraham trusts that in the centuries to come that his multitude of descendants will be able to visit the grave of their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother in their own land, in the land that was promised to Abraham. But Abraham doesn't just want Sarah to be buried in the promised land. He also wants his son Isaac to be living in the promised land. And uh, a few years pass by and it's now time for Isaac to get married. He's actually in his late 30s and his mother has done a pretty good job of looking up after him up until her death. But he's getting on. He's in his late 30s and like any good ancient Middle Eastern dad or he's any good ancient modern Middle Eastern dad, Abraham wants to go and organise a wife for his uh, son. So in chapter 24, verses 1 to 3, Abraham sends his chief servant on a mission. Uh, you see, Abraham doesn't want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. He doesn't want to be interbreeding with the Hittites. Uh, and so he sends his servant on a journey. It's about an 800-kilometre round trip back to Abraham's home territory in order to find a wife from amongst Abraham's relatives. Now, that's a big mission, and there's a question uh, that the servant has, and that is, uh, how should he choose the bride? Well, take a look at verses 12 to 14. In verse 12, uh, what's happened is that the servant has left, and he's travelled with his uh, camels, and he's gotten to a place called Aram Naharayim, or just near there, and he's gone to the town of 
Nahor and there's a well and his camels have knelt down at the well and uh, they want to be refreshed. And then in verse 12, he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Reminds me of some of those spy shows on TV, you know, when the two spies have to meet each other and they've got a password, one person says one thing and the other person says something back and they know that they're the right people. Uh, you know, the Maxwell Smart kind of thing. Um, the other thing here is that, um, you see, uh, this is actually not the biblical model for how you should find a wife. <laughs> Let me just talk to the single people here for a moment. Um, <clears throat> this is describing what happened in this particular case. It's not prescribing what God will do in your particular case. Uh, it's not like, you know, if you're looking for someone to get married and you pray to God and you say, okay, God, what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll send her a message on Facebook and if she replies within, you know, 25 seconds, I'll know that, you know, she's the one. Uh, it's not like that. And, um, you know, if anyone... Can I just say, if anyone actually at any point in your life comes and says to you, look, the Lord has told me that you must marry me, <laughs> tell them to take a hike, okay? Because that's not the way... I've actually known that happen in two cases, in two cases. Uh, usually guys um, saying that to girls. And one of them took a hike and the other one didn't. Now, um, so it's not... It's just telling us what happened in this particular case. And it did happen. Uh, because sure enough, in verse 15, a beautiful, a beautiful young single girl named Rebecca did exactly what the servant had prayed. You know, he said, can I have some water? And she said, have some water and I'll water your camels as well. And the rest of chapter 24 is the story about how Rebecca became the wife of Isaac. The problem with the passage, though, or our interpretation of the passage, is that we spend so much time uh, thinking about the whole matchmaking thing that we miss the critical teaching of the passage, and uh, that is the important parts about the promises that God had made to Abraham. Because when, when Abraham had told his servant to go out and find a wife for Isaac, if you go back to verse 5 uh, of chapter 23, uh, when Abraham commissioned the servant to do that, the servant asked, well, okay, I'm, I'll go and do that, but what if the woman I find actually doesn't want to come back and live here in Canaan? Um, I mean, you know, that's a possibility, isn't it? Should I then take Isaac to go and live with her? Have a look at verse 6, chapter 24. In verse 6, Abraham says this. He says, Make sure that you do not take my son back there, 
Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. So the important thing is that uh, Abraham was expressing his faith that his offspring would, uh, would possess this land the land of Canaan. And of course, uh, what happened was that Rebecca was happy to go back and to live with Isaac as his wife in the land of Canaan. It's interesting, when Rebecca left her family, uh, check out what they said, what her brothers said to her at her farewell. If you go down to verse 59 of chapter 24, you got that? Verse 59, it says, So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Rebekah's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah. And they said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. That might have been a cultural blessing, but hey, how appropriate. How appropriate is that? Because it, it's just so fitting in terms of what God had promised Abraham. Because he'd promised him a, a land, a people, and a blessing. A people, through her, a people who would come into effect through the impossible promise come true. And the impossible promise come true was Isaac, their son. Rebekah would have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of descendants living in the land where Sarah is now buried. But it's not just Sarah who would be buried there. Because about 35 years later, Abraham died. Um, chapter 25, verse 7. Altogether... Abraham lived 175 years. That's a good innings, isn't it? Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? It actually hints at a heavenly reality too. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites, there Abraham was buried in, with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer, Lahai Roy. Buried in the same plot as Sarah, same cave, same land. And that's significant. Not just because of the real estate, but because it tells us Abraham trusted the promises of God. The promises of a people, a land, and a blessing. And the rest of the Old Testament tells us of the unfolding story of how that was fulfilled in a physical way. How a great nation of people called Israel actually came into existence. How under uh, Joshua, the uh, people of Israel uh, entered into the, into the land of Canaan and, uh, and possessed the land that God had promised. 
And it tells of how during the time of David and then most particularly King Solomon, that the kingdom of Israel extended in a very real physical sense from uh, the great river Nile uh, through to the great river Euphrates in Babylon. And it tells us of how the nations were blessed through Israel, how kings and princes and queens and, and their emissaries travelled to Israel, to Jerusalem, to gain blessing and benefit from the great wisdom of King Solomon. But the story of Israel in the Old Testament is also a story of failure. It's a story of rebellion against God. It's a story of lack of faithfulness to God's promises. It's a story of judgment and punishment. And ultimately, it's the story of the need of a new covenant. A new covenant which comes into effect through a saviour, through one who would actually deal with the issue of sin. It's a story which tells us of how the physical fulfilment of the promises is actually a shadow of a greater reality, a spiritual reality to which it points, a reality which is found in Christ who through his death and his resurrection has paid for sin and has therefore created a new, forgiven, true people of God. People who have been blessed, people who've come from every nation, of every race, of every tribe, of every language. And people who, like Abraham, see themselves as being aliens and strangers in this world. As forgiven people, do you sometimes feel like you're a bit of an alien, a bit of a stranger in this life? You know, I was talking to Cassie just last night. You're watching some trash on the television. And I said to Cassie, this is trash, but guess what? This is what people actually enjoy watching. Do you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, I feel uncomfortable. You know why? Because we actually don't belong to this world. We are strangers, we are aliens, we are different to this world. And we should feel it. We should feel it. Sometimes Christians get a bit confused as well. Sometimes, you know, I heard of a story of a man who was in his late 80s, been battling cancer, he was a Christian man, been battling cancer for about 14 years, And in his late 80s, it just looked like he was now going to die. Some Christian people said to his wife, have you been praying that he'll be healed? And she said, yes. And they said, well, have you been praying with faith? (laughs) Because if you pray with faith, he'll be healed. She said, yeah, we've been praying with faith. We've been praying with faith about this particular issue for the last 14 years. And what we're praying for is the great promises come true. The great promise of the people, a land, a blessing, the great promise that he will be gathered with his people, he would be gathered around the throne of God, resting in heaven forever. You see, let me finish um, by taking us to what the New Testament says about Abraham. 
you go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a few moments, Hebrews 11, and you find that on page 851. I'm going to pick it up in the verse right at the bottom there, which is verse 8. Everyone got that? Hebrews 11. Great chapter on the men and women of faith in the Old Testament. And there in verse 8, the writer to the Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Um, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only looked, saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. See what it's saying? Abraham, he had his plot of ground there in Canaan. He believed in the physical fulfilment, but hey, there was this greatest spiritual reality that he was longing for. And uh, even if you go over to verse 38, passage I've printed for you on your bulletins there. In verse 38, having um, talked about a whole range of people throughout the Old Testament who lived by faith, trusting in the promises of God, in verse 38, the author to the Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them. Uh, They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Only together with us would they be made perfect. Do you know that today you can actually go to the place where Abraham and Sarah are buried? He's cute, isn't he? He's really cute. He's very, very cute. Good on you, Chico. uh, But let me tell you something which is not just cute, it's really important. Today, you can actually go to the place where Abraham and Sarah are buried. Anyone been there? No. Okay. Um, The caves are in the city of Hebron. And... um, Today you can't actually you can't actually look in the caves. You can't actually look. You can technically, but no one will let you do it. Uh, they the caves are underground, and what they've done is they've built a uh, a building on top of it. Uh, not the modern tourist industry, but it's a very old building. It was built 
um, at the time of King Herod in the first century AD. Uh, today, it's used as a mosque. But it, that's irrelevant, actually. Uh, you can go there, you can visit there, you can be close to the bones of Abraham, but you want to know something better than that? You can actually be with Abraham in the heavenly reality because that's not his home. Heaven is his home. And uh, if you want to be close to Abraham, then the message is, have the faith of Abraham. Put your trust in the promises that God has made. The blessing of forgiveness. The blessing of eternal life in the heavenly land. The blessing of belonging to God's true people. The blessings of the promises which God has made in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be close to Abraham? Have the faith of Abraham by putting your trust in Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we want to thank you for uh, the way that uh, you have worked through Abraham and Sarah and the promises that you've made to them. We thank you, Father God, that they've been fulfilled in Jesus. We ask for ourselves that we would see our lives as being the lives of strangers and aliens. We pray, Father God, that uh, we would be staking our claim in the promised land by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, not living for this world, but looking forward to the better world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.